You're listening to the Beaver Tales podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student-athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. You know, my legacy needs to be that everyone I meet, I impact for the good. How do they feel after leaving me? Did I encourage them? Did I help them feel like they are special? You know, that's something that I want to be known for, not gymnastics. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Well, I've got the perfect guest for you on the Beaver Tales podcast today. Thanks for joining me again. I'm Josh Warden. Danae Phillips-Stanfield, one of only five gymnasts in Oregon State history to ever compete in the uneven bars and post a perfect 10. Can't do better than that in any sense of uh, the routine or gymnastics. It is uh, quite the feat, and she did score a perfect 10 in her career. She competed at Oregon State in the late 90s. That perfect 10 was in 1999. She since uh, became a grade school teacher. She lives in Albany. She's now teaching PE. And so we had a fun conversation talking about her gymnastics career, how she ended up at Oregon State, uh, how funny it is, the things that keep her humble, even in the midst of uh, achieving perfection in a sense, and uh, also how she transitioned away, what she's doing now, and what she wants her legacy to be beyond just athletics. It was fun. She had told me she had just listened to Isis Lowry's episode. Uh, I think I had uploaded it the day I talked with Danae, and so it was fun to talk with two Oregon State gymnasts of two different eras who had a lot of similarities in their story to a certain degree and an unexpected end to their career. And so I hope you enjoy both Isis' uh, episode. If you haven't listened to hers, you can stop this one, go listen to that, or listen to it afterwards. Either way, I think you'll enjoy both of them. So here is former Oregon State gymnast, owner of a perfect 10, but more than just a perfect 10. Here is Danae Phillips-Stanfield. Happy to talk with Danae Phillips-Stanfield, talking some gymnastics memories and life now and teaching and all that. Danae, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Excited to chat with you for a, a lot of different topics. Let's just start. Gymnastics is always an interesting one because it's very rare for anyone to to start, you know, I, you don't hear stories very often of, oh, I started gymnastics when I was 13 or anything like that. I, I don't know about you. Maybe you were three, maybe you were later, but uh, when did you start really getting into gymnastics? I started when I was three. My parents, we were watching gymnastics on television and then they saw me kind of try to flip around the house and they thought they would um, let me try gymnastics. So they put me in a little class. It's pretty fun. And so at three years old, you're already starting to, at, at what point did it really not just become something you did, but something you loved? Well, we moved, my parents and I, we moved around a lot. And so from Albany, when I was preschool and kindergarten, so I did gymnastics here and then we moved up to Portland and they also put me in a gymnastics class because they thought I had um, potential. And so my parents were missionaries and we moved around a lot. I've lived in Missouri, California, Texas, and Mexico. And I did gymnastics in um, California and also in Texas. But I started more seriously when we came back from Mexico. And so my seventh grade year, I continued to train. And it wasn't until I had a really amazing coach, Dan Alch. And I went down to NAG, National Academy of Artistic Gymnastics in Eugene. And several Oregon State gymnasts have also come from there. 
pretty amazing gymnast. And I trained really, really hard. At one point, we were training about 37 and a half hours a week, but that was amazing. And I thank my coach, Dan Alt, for giving me a chance to get a, a scholarship and go to Oregon State. Wow, that, that must have been a, a lot of work, to a lot of stress on the body and everything, almost 40 hours a week, full-time job just doing gymnastics as a kid. Yeah, uh, I loved it. It was so funny. I'd set my alarm. In the summer, we worked out at 5, so I set my alarm for 3.24 in the morning because I lived, you know, 45 minutes to an hour away. And, but I loved it. It was, you know, developing friendships and working out and doing the thing I absolutely love to do. So it, it didn't seem hard. It was it was so rewarding. The hardest part was um, at the end of practice, he would make us run. And that was my least favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, that was hard. So you were you were never going to be a cross-country runner at Oregon State. That was not in the cards oh, for you. definitely not. Definitely <laughs> yeah. not. What, what was it like growing up and moving around Mexico and, and Texas back to Albany and, and all over? What was that experience like with your parents and missionaries and traveling and, and that element? What was that like growing up? Um, it was neat because we got to meet a lot of amazing people and through Facebook, we get to keep in contact with those people. But I really, as I got older, I really craved stability. And so it was neat to be home and to come back to Albany my seventh grade year. I went to different high schools. I went to three different high schools and um, graduated from Springfield High School. And I drove down in the morning and worked out from like six o'clock to 11 o'clock in the morning and then did gymnastics, uh, then did school after that. Gotcha. As far as your time at Oregon State, uh, the thing that stands out most in the record books is the, the uneven bars and the perfect 10. And uh, I think it was 1999. What was that like to look up at the reader board, see, see the judges give you a 10.0 to finish that routine. Maybe you knew it right as you stuck the landing or maybe, I don't know, but what, what was that memory of scoring a perfect 10 on uneven bars? I have to thank my coaches for that and how hard that my team worked. And I'm really thankful for my teammate, Stephanie Bykowski, because she was the person right before me. And if she hits, you know, I mean, it's just the expected that the scores build and the excitement builds and you're ready to perform. And um, Dick Foxall was, it was an amazing bar coach and it was a pleasure working with him for four years. Um, it was such an amazing experience. Like I just knew that at the end of that routine, it was a good one. And to get a 10 at the Pac-10 my senior year was such a blessing. Um, all of my hard work paid off and it made me really proud. And especially to be an OSU gymnast and the legacy that OSU gymnastics brings to our community. I went back and watched uh, your bars routine from 1999. Uh, uh -huh. I don't think it was the Pac-10s, but I'm yeah. sure it was yeah. the same routine that you had. I don't know if you ever go back and watch the passes you do and the, the landing, the dismount, all that. But if you do go back or maybe just your memory of what that routine was like, how would you describe the routine to get to a perfect 10? Well, this is funny. So I'm a teacher. And I remember one of my years, I was in third grade and two kids won, um, won an award. And so we had lunch together and the girls were just looking at me laughing. And I knew one of them was into gymnastics. And I'm like, oh, what, what are you guys laughing about? And they were like, hee, hee, hee. And they just kept, continued to stare at me and laugh at me. And I'm like, oh, did you look at me on YouTube? They're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, did you see me fall on my back my first meet? And they're like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. So <laughs> my very first meet at Gil. And it's on YouTube, quite humbling. 
is I was supposed to do like a touch the low bar, do a straddle and then grab the high bar and continue with my routine. Well, I, you know, the first minute get a little nervous and I'm concentrating on the other parts of my routine and not on my actual mount to get to the bars. And I fell through the bars. I missed, I fell through the bars and landed on my back. And that was my intro to, uh, <laughs> Oregon State University, quite humbling, but it's awesome because, you know, the perfect 10 is not on YouTube. So it keeps me very humble. So everyone can see my, my beginnings, but the progression. And I just knew that, you know, from the first meet and to be able to feel the, the crowds and the support is so amazing. OSU has something really, really special. The crowds are, do make a difference. And from the first meet and, you know, trying to get a grasp of competing in front of a huge crowd, freshman year, sophomore year, everything just built to my senior year. And I knew I worked, um, you know, 18 years of gymnastics and I worked really, really hard to get to the point where I was at that I was confident I could go into any meet and, and win. I wonder if there is some life lesson in the fact that you had a perfect 10 and you had a one where you fell and the publicly available one on YouTube <laughs> is not the perfect 10. <laughs> yeah, it keeps you humble. It's awesome. When you did fall, did you manage to continue the routine from that point? What, what did you do or did you have to stop? I don't know how injured you were, but what did you do? Oh, no, it wasn't an injury. And in practice, you know, I don't ever remember falling on that mount like that, you know. So you just get up and you do what you trained your whole life to do. You just finish your routine. Yeah. I think I was a little stunned, but <laughs> finish the routine. Not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. So when you were coming towards the, the end of your career, finishing out in 1999, what, what were your expectations, both of, of how your gymnastics career would end up and also just kind of the next stage of life? It, it's always interesting to, to compare what people thought, uh, you know, that transition would look like, and then what it actually turned out being. And when they look back at what that time period was like. So when you think of 1999, the fin finish of college and the start of the next chapter, uh, what did you think it would be? And, and then we'll get to, you know, what it actually, what actually happened and the, the lessons you learned through that. But what, what did you expect? Yeah. Um, so I started gymnastics at a young age and then continued into gymnastics for about 18 years. And so the expectation going into my senior year was that I would go in and win nationals. I mean, that was what I was training for. My, um, my entire life was leading up to the moment of, you know, your, your last meet. And so I was preparing mentally and physically and doing everything I could to be the very best, um, gymnast that I could be for OSU. Um, and that, um, and looking back, so pack tens, I got a perfect 10 and, um, you know, I was heading into regionals, really excited. And at one point I was ranked tied for fourth in the nation on bars was my ranking. And I was expecting to go to nationals so I could claim the title and the team didn't go, didn't, didn't qualify for nationals. And, um, I didn't qualify as an individual. And so I wasn't expecting that night of that meet to be the very last meet. So that was hard. I went, um, that threw me into depression and I had never really been depressed before. And it, and it took a while for me to figure out, you know, the hard times and trying to get out of bed and I, the, the struggle to find happiness and completeness in my life. Um, I'm so grateful for friends and family and for God, like he became really dear to me and you can't just place your whole life on something that is so that won't last. 
you know? And so I love being known as an OSU gymnast, but I don't want that to be my legacy. You know, my legacy needs to be that everyone I meet, I impact for the good. How do they feel after leaving me? Did I encourage them? Did I help them feel like they are, they're worthy, that they are special? You know, that's something that I want to be known for, not gymnastics. But um, yeah, I went through a year of depression and it was really, it was really tough on me because it felt like a death and mentally I wasn't prepared to train my whole life for something that never came into being. And, you know, as an athlete, you don't train for the negative. You train, you train to win. And that was what my mindset was. And so it really threw me for a loop. I got married and lived in California and was a teacher. So I took about, I came and watched some OSU gymnastics and drove up from Cali, but I took a good seven years off of gymnastics because it was just a little bit painful you know again it's like going through death and you have to go through the grieving process and and realize you know and think about the good things that um, I have through gym so through gymnastics and through my experience at OSU I worked on getting my master's in education and so um, I teaching has been hard but I love teaching and I know that my purpose here on earth is to is to lift lift people up and to encourage and to help kids be the very best that they can be. And I, I love teaching and I know that God has me here for a reason. Yeah, that's really cool. When I talked with Isis Lowry just a few days ago and, and similar to, to you, the, the last gymnastics meet she ever had was not the one that she expected to be the last gymnastics meet of her career. Since you had that experience you know years ago and you've been able to reflect on that and learn from that for her it's still pretty fresh I mean it could still feel fresh for you sometimes too but uh, for her it literally was this year what what were some things you learned about where you were at at that point how to um, handle that the, the life lessons you learned like what advice would you give either to her and, and it was cool to hear that you would even listen to her episode that you were doing that so that, that was fun to hear to her or or just kind of the idea of people who who have lost like that who who realize something was undercut or taken away from them what, what was something that you learned um that that uh, was valuable for you that you would kind of give advice back to your former self or people in that in that state yeah i think the most important thing is not to isolate yourself like what got me through was family and friends caring I think for anyone, a lot of people have gone through grief or circumstances or things that they that are hard that they weren't expecting and that they have to to overcome. And you know, gymnastics and all of my training in OSU has taught me to um, to persevere. But also OSU gymnastics, um, it was a family, and so um, it's so it's so important to not just to bury yourself inside. Like you have to reach out, and it's so important to talk about your experiences and your loss with friends and family. And I think um, as an athlete, the more we can share our stories of how great it was, but you know what, you will go through struggles and it will be hard. And when it's done, it's, it's hard, but how can you, how can you as a person grow and move and how can you give back to your community? And I feel I do that by being a teacher and helping kids, uh, you know, being a PE teacher now, helping kids, with self-esteem and even though you know this you know volleyball might be a little bit tough for you but you can do it and here are skills and here's ways I can encourage you and your friends can encourage you and your classmates can encourage you you know I want to make athletics a positive experience and so how 
how can you surround yourself with people who will help you get through the tough times? Yeah, that's, that's really good. I appreciate that. Um, let's talk about teaching a little bit, because I think it's really cool to, to see what you've been able to do both, um, you know, teaching mostly elementary school kids now doing PE across uh, basically K through five, not to mention seeing your own kids grow through that age. Now they're 10 and 12, if I remember you saying correctly, and um, having taught for a while now, uh, what is I think it's really interesting to talk with people who have expertise in whatever their their area is. So maybe for you, it's just knowing what makes kids from you know ages five to ten ish what what makes them click and learning about their their way of life. What what's something that you have learned about how to be an effective teacher and what you know about what kids at that age are like that you may not have known uh, early on in your teaching career. What what's kind of stood out to you? Um, twenty one years of teaching. So. <laughs> <laughs> dating myself. Um, I was a classroom teacher, so I taught primarily fourth grade. I've taught some blends, fourth and fifth grade. I taught third grade for a couple years, and I ended my teaching career in the classroom teaching first grade, and I loved it. It was amazing going from fourth grade to first grade and to, and just to see the differences and to know this is what you're going to be learning as you get, you know, as you get older, and these are skills that you will need. It was quite an, quite an experience going from, again, fourth grade to first grade teaching and then going from PE. As a PE teacher, I knew that a lot of kids have self-doubt. And as you get older, you can tell the difference between, and it becomes pretty apparent of kids who are really um, confident in their athletic ability and kids who are less confident in their athletic ability. And my goal was to make a positive learning experience for everyone. And so in my mind, I know kids, you know, have different skills and I really try to try to say, okay, so this unit might be a little bit difficult, but this unit might be stronger for you. And just because something is harder or a little more challenging doesn't mean that you're going to be bad at it or that, or that it won't be enjoyable. Like you just have to try your best as a PE teacher. That's all I'm asking you to do is just to give me your very best. And so I asked kids, um, when it came time to kind of doing more of the competition kind of kind of things or practice, I asked kids if um, how aggressive they were feeling. And I'm like, if you're feeling really aggressive, then go to this side of the gym. If you're feeling less aggressive, go to this side of the gym. And I would have the less aggressive students um, work on their skills or play each other, like, you know, volleyball, um, setting the ball back and forth with the, you know, with their with their peers that they feel comfortable with. Does that make sense? And so they weren't yeah. terrified that some really athletic, taller person was just going to spike the ball and hurt them or hit them. You know, I mean, and so the kids who wanted to be aggressive, they could be aggressive with their friends and have fun and have that challenge versus the other kids who were just practicing and they wanted to have fun, but they didn't want the pressure of being bad or to lose face because they weren't as good as their peers. And so my goal was to make everyone feel feel good about where they were at in this in the sports that in the unit that we did. And I had a letter from a parent, this student um, dreaded PE. And this student, um, when I was the PE teacher, um, he participated in all of my um, PE units. And I'm so proud of this student, like it was life changing. And so she sent me a beautiful email. And you know, that is why I teach because I want kids to have confidence and enjoy what we're doing. And it's not just a class. It's not just to give you exercise, you know, it's to build self confidence, it's to make friends, it's to be active, you know, I mean, there's so many 
there's so many positive things to being a teacher. And I just hope that kids can see the love and the care that I have for them and the excitement that I have for the units that I do. A really quick interruption before we finish up this conversation. I always mention a different charity on each episode. I just feel led to, to kind of do that. Even if nobody donates, it just feels right to at least mention a different nonprofit on each episode. Uh, the one I'm mentioning today, Food for the Hungry. They do basically the best work a charity can do from everything from um, supplying resources to people from various communities who need education, who need help with their businesses, who um, are in really difficult spots with disaster relief, whatever it may be. Uh, Food for the Hungry does a lot of great work in the, the areas that need it most. So you can check out their website, fh.org. That's fh.org um, and check them out. All right, now back to the rest of this conversation with Danae Phillips-Stanfield. We start talking about her long-term goals or hopes for 2021, kind of the legacy and big things she wants to accomplish going forward. So enjoy the finishing of this conversation with Danae Phillips-Stanfield. When I look back on my life of what I've done so far, I definitely want my legacy to be one of giving. And um, in the last two years, I was able to be a gymnastics coach at PEGA, Peak Elite Gymnastics Academy in Corvallis. And that was so amazing. My daughter gym did gymnastics for a little while. And that was such a blessing. And I realized, oh, that is such a neat way that I can use my gymnastics experience to give back. So coaching has been pretty amazing. One of the other things that I've had the experience of doing was the LBCC men's basketball coach, Joe Schomburg. He reached out to um, principals in our school district and said, hey, we want to give back. We want to donate hours. And I have, you know, my men's basketball team and we'd, we'd love to help out in your school. So I was so excited for that experience. So last year, the athletes were able to come for my fourth and fifth graders, and they were able to be positive role models. And so demonstrating skills. Um, watching kids and encouraging them. It was such a neat partnership. And it's neat. One thing that I do miss is um, the feeling of teamwork and just someone in your corner to, to cheer you on. And it's been amazing and a really neat experience to work with another team who, you know, I didn't, I never played basketball. <laughs> I was not a college basketball player. Don't have the size for that one. But it's so neat to be able to give back and to talk about my athletic experience and to to help them see, you know, what, there is a life after college. But what can you do right now to give to your team? How can you give to your community? How can you do the very best that you can do day in and day out? And so that has been a really neat relationship during COVID. It's been a little bit harder, but I'm still rooting that team on and we'll see how I can be um, stay involved with their team. I. I have two children, Simon and Sawyer, and they're so important to me. And I want them to feel like, you know, to be healthy emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. It's so important to be such a well-rounded person. And so we do exercises together as a family. Um, I run every other day and I do other exercises at home every night. And my kids do them with me. And it's just such an important experience to have to have that to share as well as you know to um, do church as a family and for the spiritual side and the emotional side just to be able to um, talk with my kids and tell them how important they are and to um, and to encourage them as they grow and so I think it's important that we do that with with people around us and so um, you know my goal is to can you continue to hopefully encourage people as a teacher and as a friend and um as a former athlete and just, just to encourage people. That's what I hope to do. 
Well, I really liked how thoughtful Danae was in in her answers. You could tell she's uh, put a lot of conscious effort into thinking through what she wants her legacy to be, how she wants to impact her students and the people around her. And uh, those are the most fun people to talk with because you ask a question and they've got some substantial things to say. And I was struck by how similar in a way her uh, life story is to Isis Lowry, who had uh, has come on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. And Danae, you know, was a couple decades ahead of Isis. But, you know, life is cyclical to a certain degree. You see people at age 20, and they're oftentimes similar to people who were age 20 years before that. And so it's kind of fun to see uh, not exactly a future Isis. We're not, not seeing what Isis Lowry will be exactly when, and you know, in a few years, but some similarities, you know, everybody's different. She'll have a different story, but it was kind of cool to see two people who both had an unexpected end to their gymnastics career, both coming out of Oregon State, and uh, cool to see how Danae processed through it and how Isis is processing through that, and we're all kind of on that journey as it is. All right, my thanks again to Danae for joining me on the podcast. Got some fun episodes coming up. Daniel Turpin, David Chin, uh, and more on future episodes right here on the Beaver Tales podcast. My name is Josh Warden. Hope you're involved with Oregon State a long time further broadcasting OSU sports. So I appreciate you tuning in to the podcast. Until the next time we talk, have a great day, everybody, and go Beavs.